Welcome into the DNVR Rockies podcast brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. Now when you use promo code DNVR, new customers can make any $5 NBA money line bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. That's code DNVR only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. I'm your host, Patrick Lyons, and joining me today is a great friend of the podcast. Been a minute, Mr. Kdub1988 on Twitter. Kenneth Weber from Purple Row. What's going on, Kenneth? Not too much, man. Um, this is a great sports season for me. The spring and the fall are like the the ultimate time. So I've been living in a state of bliss. I got playoff baseball. It starts there with me. And then you got hockey season ramping up. Um, a little bit of NFL to tune into if that's your your cup of tea. Not necessarily mine, but man, when when hockey and baseball overlap, I'm I'm a happy man. So I'm a happy man right now. Yep. So glad you could join us. We've got the Nuggets going on tonight. Watch party down at the DNVR bar. Uh, obviously, it's going to be popping off, but it is still baseball season. Not for the Rockies, but uh, we, we will have an activity going on down at Coors Field very shortly. Uh, if you've uh, got some golf clubs and if you got a ticket to that event, we'll have to talk about that uh, another time. But uh, this year, uh, first question right off the bat. You started getting credentialed and you started showing up at Coors Field already was uh, writing some wonderful articles for Purple Row uh, the last couple of years. But how was that uh, transition like actually being there, getting to hang out with Bud Black, being in the clubhouse? Uh, did that kind of take things to the next level for you? Uh, you know, it was it's awesome uh, to, to be there and be a part of it. Uh, there's there's definitely, you know the the pleasure of being in the ballpark remains the same for me because once you're just absorbed in the game and uh involved in that atmosphere uh it's still just you know being around the game you love and 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 just kind of indulging in your passion so um that mostly was my baseline and it, it stayed the same way i think you know getting to have the the face-to-face -face interaction getting to get to know guys personally and and you know um find you know some of their their character um in their conversations and their dialogue that was the that was the interesting part that was the new part and that's just something that you keep on building with and that's how you cover the team as best you can so overall it, it was a blast i'm finally uh i'm glad i was finally able to get out there that's awesome yeah the diehards right now obviously uh they're they're jonesing for some more baseball back in in denver but there are some rockies if you squint uh, in action in the Arizona Fall League, of course. Have you been keeping an eye on this a little bit? Uh, is it really just all about Zach Veen right now and anything you get from uh, everyone else? What has been your take so far with the Salt River Rafters and the the eight prospects? I'll put quotes around it since Peter Lambert is there and he's on the 40-man. Uh, what's been your take on the AFL so far? Uh, this fall. Yes. So we do uh, the Pebble Report over at Purple Row. That's something that I've been covering all season. And uh, we still have that going on um, every Monday. And it's covering the, the Arizona Fall League. Uh, when you talk about uh, the, the Rockies farmhands that are there, it's hard not to start with Zach Veen, not only because he is a number one prospect, he is electric. Um, and we saw that, you know, in a brief glimpse on the national stage with the Futures game. But he has been arguably the best position player in the Arizona Fall League so far. Um, he took home player of the week honors in the first week. He runs like a madman, like the stolen base totals that he puts up is a minor league Ricky Henderson relative to the common day that we play in. So, um, you know, it's it's hard not to to start boasting about Zach Bean because everywhere he goes, he's that impressive. But um, there's some other good uh, takeaways, especially on the position player side with uh, Grant Levine. Levine can hit, you know, the power's not fully there but he's showing he can hit against higher level competition this year with double a and now the arizona fall league 
Um, so, you know, you get to see some glimpses with Bernabel. He's a young guy, kind of like Tovar was last year. But you're seeing those flashes of potential. But right now, uh, Veen and uh, Levine, that's that's a pretty good starting point that the Rockies are putting out there with the Raptors. Yeah, Grant Levine is is kind of you know going under the radar a little bit as as a guy who was you know taken so so very high and then seemingly uh, wasn't able to put it together. But I think I think a lot of that has to do with his background and playing baseball uh, in uh, spring in in New Hampshire. I mean, he, he was the highest uh, position player ever taken out of the state of New Hampshire. So I think there were a lot more growing pains for a guy like him than someone who came out of Texas or Florida or California, uh, if you will. But it got me thinking because you're because you're right. We, we've been uh, talking plenty about Zach Veen and the numbers that he's been putting up so far, but it does make me think, well, you know, did, could he win MVP or when was the last time a, a Rockies prospect won MVP in the Arizona fall league? And of course the answer to that is if, if this doesn't get you hyped enough, I don't, I don't know what will it was Aaron, Nolan Arenado in, in 2012 MVP of the Arizona fall league forces his way onto the roster eventually there in 2013 uh, starts eight consecutive gold glove awards. So I think, both high school players, you know, Veen, as I've been hearing from a lot of people within and around the organization, he's really forcing the Rockies' hand. Uh, I think the Rockies are doing business a little bit differently as far as how much they promote players or how aggressively they may promote players. And I think Zach Veen is just really forcing their hand. I'm like, you, you're doing way more than we thought was was even possible. And so uh, if you could be in the same conversation as Nolan Arenado, it's a pretty good place to be. Yeah, I mean, obviously, that's great company to be in. And uh, you talk about forcing the hand. I think Ezekiel Tovar was the the perfect example of it this year, too. So, um, you know, there, there's been a plan in place, at least on the position player side of, OK, here's going to be kind of this emerging core. And we've always looked at 2024 at the earliest, 2025, realistically, of when it all starts kind of coming together. Well, the faster they put themselves on the major league roster and garner that experience, the faster 2024 possibly becomes the the, the beginning of that window. So if if he picks up where he left off next spring from where he's, you know, what he's produced this fall, there could be Veen in, in Colorado's outfield kind of, you know, mid-season next year. That's that's the 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 conversation that he's forcing right now yeah eventually we'll have to do uh we'll have to do a calendar draft where we we all pick a date and say okay it's like like when when's the baby going to be born when is when is the baby <laughs> going to be debuting at coors field when is zach Veen going to hatch that's it when will he hatch i like that uh arbitration projections uh are out we talked about them recently just kind of want to get your take if there's anyone on there that Maybe seems like they're too big for their britches, if you will. It's a strange thing again when you're you're paying 182 million dollars for Chris Bryant. Uh, there are other guys that maybe you say eh, they're getting a little bit more than they should, and you're paying 10, 15, 16 million dollars uh, for you know uh, Kyle Freeland, Ryan McMahon, et cetera, et cetera. And then you say, ah, this guy's making three million dollars. He's he's a candidate to be non-tendered or uh, to get cut. And you're, you're you're talking about what what seems relatively like pennies. But were there there any of those figures of uh, of the six guys that you thought, you know what, the I think the organization may look to try to, to to shed a little bit of payroll or at least save some money with some cheaper options elsewhere. Yeah, and and this is the perfect area to to shed um, some payroll because you look at like a guaranteed contract, like a you know obviously Chris Bryant is the mega deal, but like a Brian McMahon or you know Freeland, um, Sensatella, you can't really wiggle out of those deals anymore. That's the guaranteed part of it all. So um, if you want to create some maneuverability, this is the time to do it with the non tenders. 
Um, I will lead off by also saying I don't trust the Rockies on the non-tender side. I, you know, there's a lot of times where it's made a lot of sense that this guy might not be a fit anymore in the organization, and that production may never reach, um, you know, the heights that that the the org has expected it to. And Ryan Altapia comes to mind with that. Um, for them to actually cut ties doesn't happen as frequently as I as I would think it would. So. Um, that doesn't mean there's not candidates on here. And Garrett Hampson is the first one that you, you got to start out with. I think that um, his production has really declined ever since he broke onto the scene with the Rockies. There was a potential starter in there, a potential leadoff guy. And at this point, it's kind of hard to justify him being a fourth outfielder utility infielder piece. Um, there is some defensive value there, but the bat has just dropped off too much. And at that point, you're looking at, OK, I got Alan Trejo. Uh, here and behind him, there's there's Coco Montez. There's a couple of different pieces that could slot into his roster spot. Do we really need to spend two million dollars on Garrett Hampson when we might be able to get the same from some other farmhands that we already have in the system? So he's the most obvious candidate to me to start on a non-tender basis. And then I think the biggest question mark is got to be Denelson Lamette. Um, you know, that's, there's a bit of a price tag with him. There's, that's not to say he wasn't productive in his time as a Rocky. Uh, but you're talking about a guy that was in the Cy Young conversation a couple of years ago as a starter. And now it's being relegated to pretty good middle relief, but that's a pretty steep drop from, uh, you know, what you're expecting out of $5 million when it's, Hey, this is a, a middle of the rotation number two guy to, Hey, this is a six, seventh inning guy. So that's a, that's a good conversation to have with Lamette. Yeah, he's uh, projected to make about four point eight million dollars, which you say oh, that's a lot for a reliever. Uh, it's his final year before you know he goes into free agency, so you know he's going to want to you know post some some serious numbers there and, and do as best as he can. But I think with the conversation with him that, that I keep coming back to is this idea that all right, if four point eight million dollars is too much for a question mark like Lamette how much are you going to have to pay for something that's a little bit more guaranteed, especially if the player? you know, is, is worth their weight, you know what I mean? And, 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 and is able to contribute uh, in a, in a major way because the guy's going to have a couple suitors. So really you have a one-year deal uh, on a high upside candidate like Denelson Lamette, who, you know, if you throw out uh, walking the bases loaded against the Dodgers, you know, he had a three ERA up to that point, or rather a three ERA before that road trip to California, his ERA this season at Coors Field, 2.77. So, you know, you got to hope that those arm issues are, are kind of behind him. So I think for the Rockies with, you know, the, the risks that they have to take at times, this is like the perfect risk for them to say, all right, we're going to go ahead and keep this guy in the bullpen rather than, you know, tinker with him and stretch him out to become a starter. Because really, you know, Lamette, you know, becoming that Lamette that the Padres got to see in 2020, that may not happen until 2024 or maybe 2025 because of the time that it takes maybe for him to get, you know, reacclimated to it. So I think a spot will be in the bullpen. Um, but, but I really think he'll he'll be around. It wouldn't be entirely shocking, but uh, but but my money on is is on on them probably to to pay for that higher upside candidate at four point eight, give or take. Yeah, no, I completely agree that it, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot more pros than cons to keeping Lament on the roster. He's performed well enough. I think there is the possibility of him kind of being that that spot starter as well um we asked buddy black about that during the season and he wasn't necessarily in the conversation especially after the sensatella injury happened they're trying to piece together the rotation uh Lamette always remained a possibility, but he was never really talked about seriously as being plugged in as a starter at this point. 
Uh, but you have a you have a previous track record. You know, you know he can start. It's just a question of what this pitcher is now. You know, how much of that is going to translate into the starting rotation. So I think that they'll they'll keep that door open as, you know, possibly getting some spot starts as the situations arise. But he's good enough out of the bullpen. And you made a great point that, OK, what is he relative to the alternatives on the open market? Is it going to be that much more affordable to go out and replace limit? And are we going to get the same level of production? And eh, probably not, especially at that price. And then I think another uh, factor into this is there's not a whole lot of people really pushing for that spot. This isn't uh, a Tampa Bay where there's a high churn of relievers um, always coming up through the system. So there's some job security baked into it. Uh, you also have Tyler Kinley, who's another arbitration eligible player. He's was great last year, but he was also on the shelf with the, the elbow surgery and he's going to be out for probably another year or so or for most of next year. So you have to kind of fill his spot. Well, Lamette is the obvious candidate to jump in there. You're also losing Estevez in free agency, possibly. So, you know, you don't have enough hands on deck. It's probably going to be more costly to try to replace his role in the open market. Why not just do the smart move and, and keep him around at that four eight price tag? And maybe you'll get some starts along the way, too. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Brad, in the comments here on the DNVR Sports channel on YouTube, Cody Bellinger in center field for 2023. That's the the subject uh, that we're going to start off here with the Rockies here. Who's in center field uh, for the Rockies next season? Obviously, Jonathan Daza is kind of the uh, incumbent there, but uh, you had a really interesting article over on Purple Row. We'll go ahead and link that uh, in the podcast description for folks to uh, check out if uh, you're listening to this as a podcast. But Brandon Marsh, a guy who we're getting a chance to see right now in center field for the Phillies. Uh, we'll get to the Phillies-Padres matchup, of course. We'll talk about Guardians-Yankees, talk a little bit about the Astros, as well as the 2017-2018 the Rockies. Did they do enough uh, when you compare to what the, the Final Four were able to do? But Brandon Marsh was the guy, it sounds like, that you were hoping, you know what? The Rockies, if you don't want to rebuild, if you don't want to you know, tear down a little bit, you can still add for the future, which you know they did in 2020 with, with a guy like Michael Givens. And yet here was Brandon Marsh available. What, what do you like so much about Brandon Marsh? And do you think the Rockies could have possibly swung a deal for the Angels center fielder? Yeah, he's he he was surprisingly available just um, on the direction that the Angels decided to go in. Um the whole idea with Brandon Marsh, I like him as a player. I like him as an athlete specifically. Uh, the sprint speed is incredible for him. I think that there's enough extra base potential in the bat. Might not be a huge home run guy. We're not talking about necessarily a 30-30 guy. But if you're looking at 15 to 20 home runs, being able to swipe you know, 20, 25 bags, and most importantly to me, being able to cover a lot of ground in center field at at least an average click, if not above average to possibly elite with that athleticism that he shows, that is a huge boon for Coors Field. I think that there's been uh, not enough years of premium center field defense played by the Rockies. And I think that that's one thing that can really hamper the the pitching staff is not being strong enough up the middle. So I think being able to plug a hole with somebody like Brandon Marsh and also, you know, have the potential as a top of the order hitter that can get on base, take extra bases very easily is a very enticing package. Um, he's also cost controlled. He's pre-arbitration eligible. You know, he's, he's was a pretty highly touted prospect with Los Angeles. And then, you know, as we've seen play out over the past couple of years, 
the Angels organization is just kind of a purgatory. You know, the development of the major league players or the minor league talent, nothing ever seems to really go right. And the big joke is the wasted talent of Otani and Trout in that in that span. So change of scenery is something that I think was a real a realistic conversation point with somebody like Marsh. And you already saw it when he went over to Philadelphia. It was a much improved hitter while also playing really good defense. So, um, you know, speaking in terms of the player, that's the reasons why I like Brandon Marsh. Uh, in terms of the Rockies and potentially being able to trade for Marsh, it's very That's clear that that yeah. would have been a lot harder to, to have worked out. Well, it, it definitely was. But I think that the Rockies had a very clear role that they refused to acknowledge, which was a deadline seller. And they've been refusing to acknowledge that for a couple of years now. At this point, if you're not going to get the most in terms of wins and losses out of a CJ Crone, um, you know, at last year, if we want to look at a Trevor Story or a John Gray, then at that point, you need to kind of move those assets or the 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 general thinking with most organizations is you move those assets for other players that will help maximize your opportunities when your window opens again. Um, so, all right. I guess as a, you know, somebody that covers the Rockies, if they're not going to acknowledge that fine, what else can they do to improve their team? Well, they could try to acquire a center fielder, which they might not have until Benny Montgomery comes around. And if Benny Montgomery comes around, that can slide into that next window of contention based around Veen, based around Tovar. Not many of those guys are out there. It's a pretty narrow band that you're trying to find. But when there is one that becomes available, like Brandon Marsh, maybe that's the time where you say, okay, this is the time to to make a deal, to to move some pieces around so that way we're optimizing the team that we put out there when it is time to contend. And the price wasn't cheap. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure you'll speak on that, but Logan O'Hop was the piece coming back and that's not nothing. Yeah. The, the, one of the biggest things that you mentioned is he was a change of, uh, he was a change of location candidate where he just needed to go someplace else. And I credit the angels for recognizing that because think about this, like he gets drafted out of high school uh, in the second round of 2016, which means this year was his seventh year in the organization. And although, you know, he was this huge top prospect, you know, what have you done for me lately? What are you doing for the angels? Wasn't a ton. So, you know, I think the angels recognize, well, we could hold on to this guy for two, three more years, see if he can kind of figure it out and maybe become three quarters or half the player, you know, we, we expected him to become, or we can actually kind of sell now where, where he's at 75 cents on the dollar, if you will. But they were able to bring in, you know, a, a top 100 catcher in Logan Ohapi, a guy who uh, looked really solid last year in, in the Arizona fall league. And so, you know, a top 100 guy, you know, by, by most accounts, you know, it might be a little too rich for, uh, for the Rockies blood uh, and you understand that. But again, that that's a lesson I think the Rockies can learn to say, Hey, you know what? It might not come to fruition with this guy. So let's just go ahead, sell, see what we can get. So now we can kind of, you know, uh, keep that window of contention within our control as you point out. So yeah, Ohapi was, uh, was a significant, you know, give up by the, by the Phillies, but they're, uh, they're still going to have at least five more years of, of control of a Brandon Marsh to be out there in center field. And, and yeah, maybe you, you get more of lightning in a bottle or, or you, you do have him getting that refresh and that start still relatively early in his career where the change of location ends up, you know, paying off in a major way. So uh, it would have been, I think a bit of a challenge for the Rockies to have, you know, possibly beaten the Phillies offer, but at the same time, you never know who the Angels would have possibly been interested in. Maybe it's a package of players rather than saying, well, Drew Romo maybe is the most similar, you know, comparable player to Logan O'Hoppy. Do you want to give up Drew Romo? Probably not. Uh, but at the same time, in a good good uh, game plan, 
maybe Marsh is more valuable to the organization than Aromo. That being said, we don't live in that reality. Yeah, I mean that's that's the obvious apples to apples comparison on a deal is is, is swapping um, Romo the other way. Uh, it's I think the side of a good deal is neither side is necessarily happy or feels like they they came away winning it. And I think that this yeah. could be one of those traits because the Phillies could have given up a potential All Star catcher. Now it's easier to do that when you have J T Real Muto locked up and and being your your catcher uh, or. You know, maybe the Angels just gave away a possible all-star center fielder. That was the leadoff hitter that they dreamed of, and they were never able to unlock that potential. So those trades always fascinate me because you get to watch them for three, four, five years and kind of see who won the trade and, and see how it all unfolds. But um, I agree that I think that the Rockies wouldn't have necessarily been able to um, swallow being uh, getting rid of Drew Romo. Because the, the catching position is just so thin in the organization and so many hopes are pinned on Romo to solidify that area. But when you look at corner infield and you look at basically the corners in general, you have a lot of quantity there and a lot of it is just kind of trampling each other for such few spots. So maybe you're able to balance out the organization a little bit better. Maybe you look at Grant Levine, who is really popping off along the way. Um, not sure how much Aaron Chunk necessarily entices uh, Los Angeles, but if he's able to be included as the third best player in that deal, well, he's no longer blocking Bernabel, who, you know, all of this is behind McMahon in the first place. So I think there was a little bit of clarity that could have come um, to the situation with the Rockies moving out a few corner pieces. And that would have been possibly enough for Los Angeles to, to swing a deal. Then at that point, you're solidifying up the middle while clearing a path for some of those corner guys that you have in the system. Um, it made sense at the time, but hey, we're not there in those conversations. So who knows how realistic that that type of package actually was. We're, we're going to get back to something you said in regards to how much easier it was for the Phillies to trade Logan Ohapi as they already had an all-star catcher in JT Real Muto as their catcher. And so that blocks a path. We're going to get to the fact that maybe in 2017 and in 2018, if the Colorado Rockies maybe should have moved on a young prospect third overall pick in the 2015 MLB draft, Brendan Rodgers, since they already had Trevor Story at shortstop and Ryan McMahon at second base. But what we need you to get back to or get down to is the DNVR bar on the corner of Colfax in York, where we're going to be having a Nuggets watch party Wednesday night, just about every Nuggets and Avs home game. Sometimes they overlap. So we're only doing one over the other, but guess what? If those teams are playing, if the Broncos are playing, it's going to be an awesome watch party. You're going to get extra raffle tickets. If you are a member to the DNVR.com, now only 50 cents for your first month. If you want to get an annual membership, you'll get a free shirt from DNVRlocker.com. And that membership is also going to get you price breaks when you buy tickets on DNVRlocker.com to any of our Broncos tailgates, uh, the Nuggets party bus that we've got going on, any of our golf events, things of that nature. It's great. And maybe the biggest thing, if you even if you're just looking at this from the financial perspective, you get 15% off your tab at the DNVR bar. That in and of itself is, is giving you more of the bang for your buck. Look, the Broncos might not be giving you a big bang for your buck, but Broncos Country Pale Ale is definitely doing that because it's made by one of our favorites, Breckenridge Brewery, the Colorado uh, Broncos Country Pale Ale shows off the colorful Colorado legacy with that Orange Crush logo and the 100% Colorado ingredients. I love it. It's all in-house or it's all in-state. Gotta love that. It's your go-to for football season. So check out the beer locator at breckbrew.com to find a Broncos country pale ale near you. And as we said, nuggets tonight, the wait is over. 
for Nuggets fans, NBA fans, basketball is back. So tip off the season with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers, all you got to do is make a $5 NBA Moneyline bet, and you're going to get $200 in free bets if your team wins. And check this out. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings up to 100%. Seriously, with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays, Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, opt-in, and place a stepped-up same-game parlay today with bigger payouts than ever. DraftKings Sportsbook is where I go to bet on the NBA. It's pretty simple. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DNVR. Make any $5 NBA Moneyline bet this week and get $200 in free bets if your team wins only at DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code DNVR. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right, Kenneth, let's get to some real games going on here and uh we'll start with uh, game five. First time we ever had two different levels of series overlapping game five cleveland and new york long delay game was postponed and it pretty much starts i feel like with aaron savali it was his postseason debut just didn't have it and we talked about it on our show on Tuesday that this was going to be down to the pitching. And if you don't have your stuff, you're, you're done right away. So he gets one out before Terry Francona uh, is yanking him from the game. And of course that has everything to do with Giancarlo Stanton three run home run in the first, you know, Giancarlo, he's, he is just a beast. He was pumped. And, and that was really all that the Yankees would need at that point. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it kind of felt over or it felt insurmountable for Cleveland at that point. And like, so the rain delay was a fascinating thing in its own right, because that really felt like it gave the Yankees more of an advantage in, in this series. It felt like Cleveland kind of needed everything to go um, their way to escape the division series and move on to the championship series. And the and the rain delay immediately felt like something that wasn't going to favor them it was going to favor new york and then you get out to the first inning savali it's not just that he gave up the three-run home run there was a lot of effort there was a lot of struggling to get outs and it was just a matter of time before that powder cake went off and if there's any person that personifies a powder keg in baseball is john carlo stanton so when he hit that home run i mean honestly it just felt like that was it for cleveland that that offense works on such thin margins that they need to win run one game one run games where there's less than five runs scored how does no baseball player have the nickname powder keg Oof. all right I, 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 <laughs> I got two guys off the top of my head cal schwarber his nickname should be powder keg i mean he looks like a keg. I like that we'll go back maybe but no i think schwarber if we had a if we had a powder keg player uh, as the official nickname powder keg schwarber that's a great name that, I, I dig it, but I, th- I feel like that's going to need Susie's stamp of approval just because it's it's Philadelphia related. So let's let's send that up to the higher ups. She's the we one will. Who yes. to make those decisions. Thursday at 11 a.m. We, we will definitely uh, be doing that on the flip side. Nestor Cortez uh, gets to start on three days rest. So they go away from Jamison Tyon, as you said, the, uh, the the rain out on Monday night kind of helps with that. He goes five innings, three hits, one run. Walked one, struck out two, pretty much exactly what uh, Aaron Boone would have would have prescribed from his starter right there. Looked great. Yeah, you know, Cortez has been um, such a godsend for the Yankees because obviously there's Garrett Cole and that's your headliner. Um, what the starting pitching is behind him was really where the Yankees have been thinnest. And Cortez 
he just feels like a real boomer bust guy for me in in the postseason because a lot of those guys that it, it sounds harsher than I mean it to, but he kind of gets he gets a lot of outs through gimmicks. You know, everybody's seen the the videos of him basically tap dancing before he goes into his delivery. Um, those guys can get exposed. Uh, but Cortez has been dealing. Cortez has been solid. He has been a really, really vital piece of that Yankees uh, team as a whole and, and their success. And so to get him out there and also to have the confidence on the team um, when he is the one on, on the hill, you know, that's that's a very real thing that I wasn't sure how that was going to play out this postseason. Yeah, Judge Aaron Judge uh, homers there uh, in the second inning, even more insurance run. Uh, actually, is his fourth homer in a winner take all postseason game which becomes the most all time a lot of qualifiers in there and again when the postseason you know we know baseball's been around for 150 years uh you go back to the first world series you know we're talking less than uh we're talking about 115 uh postseasons but at you know for for a very long time there wasn't even a championship series it was just world series it was all or nothing on that so uh those things can happen I should also mention giancarlo stan uh, now has 11 homers in his first 23 postseason games that ties him with carlos beltran for the most so those guys getting hot at the right time uh with some power and harrison bader a guy who uh, i wanted to talk about a couple times uh, during the week uh, and, and forgot to, to shoot my shot because uh, he had three home runs in this series. He walked twice on Tuesday. Uh, all in all, not bad for a guy uh, who was out for much of the season with plantar fasciitis. Yeah. Uh, Bader is that spark plug guy. And I feel like the Yankees, uh, you know, went, went similarly to uh, how the Phillies did with Brandon Marsh solidify some defense. And hopefully that bat will pop out a little bit too. So um, it's one of those, you know, unexpected surprises that uh, can be really beneficial in the playoffs. And Bader is kind of playing that role of unsung hero a little bit. I feel like for him. Scary moment early on in the game. Uh, we did have a collision there uh, between the Yankee shortstop Osvaldo Cabrera and Aaron Hicks. Uh, he's actually going to be out for the remainder of the postseason. left knee injury. I think he's going to be out for six weeks which is well past uh, the end of the world series. Or there, Aaron but, Hicks, man. Yeah. Or Aaron Hicks is always, uh, he's always going out on the shelf for extended periods of time. And he's, he's one of those guys where it's like, I remember watching Aaron Hicks play. He was amazing when he was on the field, but then he just like disappeared for three years. And then he came back and he was really good again. And then he disappeared. So this is just, it's the latest misfortune in Aaron Hicks's career. Yeah. And, and it's unfortunate for the Yankees because they weren't able to figure out their, their shortstop situation. Uh, with Isaiah Karnafalefa, IKF, if you will, and they go with the young guy in Cabrera, and you got to think, you know, how much did that have to do with, uh, you know, Hicks, who played a little bit of in left field this season, but a lot more in, in center field, and so those two guys coming in together in the collision, not very good. Hicks is sort of a uh, a player that in the last two years or so I've kind of eyed because his his contract, you know, isn't too much. It, it's maybe more on the significant side for the Rockies, but he's mm -hmm. sort of a guy that I imagine when the Yankees want to go ahead and shed some payroll, they might even include a, a prospect uh, if you want to send him Colorado's way. What are your thoughts on a guy like Aaron Hicks, either in center or just in the outfield mix uh, as a guy to, to rely upon the next couple of years as he's not making uh, you know a ton of money and maybe even less if the Yankees want to pay down that deal? Yeah, I think that that's a that's a pretty wise decision to be able to pick up a professional hitter like that. You know, there's a bit of a poor man's Michael Brantley to him. Uh, you might not have the sheer athleticism that he displayed, you know, in his time with Minnesota. Uh, you put him in a large outfield, Coors center field, you're probably asking for too much trouble. Uh, but if you're a team that starved for offense and production and has, you know, 
been churning out a pretty poor outfield product for multiple seasons, talking about the Rockies here, that's not a bad piece to be able to add to help bolster that a little bit. So yeah, I like the idea with it. Um, I don't, you know, I'm not shedding any tears for the Yankees having more payroll than they they want. So if they're looking to get rid of somebody, you kind of you seize that opportunity and you make it a little more worth your while. I think that's that's the leverage that the Rockies could have in a negotiation like that. But in terms of adding the player to that lineup, hey, this is somebody that, you know, gets you by for a couple of years until you have that Veen Montgomery, maybe Yankee Fernandez outfield that you've been dreaming on for so long. So not a bad interim piece. Yeah, no, I, I like that idea. So we're going to get Yankees Astros rematch third time in the last six years facing off in the ALCS uh, fifth time in uh, a series history where you've had teams going against each other that much. Game one will be today, 530 Colorado Standard Time, if you will, uh, on TBS. And I sort of feel like this is the real world series. Like whoever wins this will probably win the world series. And even if they don't, I imagine, you know, one of those two teams are going to say, yeah, really, this was the bigger series to get past the Yankees or the Astros. And, you know, yeah, maybe we lost in the world series, but we, we, we had much tougher play against uh, our AL opponent. Do you think this is, this will maybe almost even be better than the world series, any possible combination? Um, yeah, I think that you'll just see a higher level of talent in these two series or, or better constructed rosters. And, um, I'm not one necessarily that says, oh, it has to be the best teams that play in that final game of the season. Um, you know, I think back to, to like the, the glory days of the avalanche, uh, the cup had to go through Colorado. The cup had to go through Detroit. It was always in order to make it to that championship. You have to survive, some of the steepest competition that you'll see from any, you know, any city in the league. And I feel like that's the way that the American league has really played out. And specifically, you have to go through Houston is really the way that I see it. And, you know, six straight championship series speak for themselves, but there's a reason why they've been there. This is a very well-constructed roster. I think that it's hard for me to accept any argument that doesn't put them as the favorite at this point, because man, Houston is as good, if not better than everybody in pretty much every category you look at. It's a very, very steep task. So, hey, if you're the Yankees and you make it through Houston, you really like your chances. And hey, if you're Houston and you make it through the Yankees, do you really look at the Padres or the the Phillies as being better than what you just made it through? So, you know, I like that it has to go through Houston in my mind uh, to, to get to the championship series. And this might be the best baseball that we see in the postseason. The ALCS goes through Houston. The NLCS happens to take place in San Diego. Is that that's the verb verbology? I guess that uh, it went through uh, LA. Yes, maybe. Yeah, you got uh, you got the one and two seed in the American League, and then the five and the six seed conversing mm-hmm. in the National League. Uh, starters for tonight: Jamison Tyon going for the Yankees uh, against Justin Verlander. Again, that going down uh, at five thirty-seven. So uh, that's going to be. Uh, Another exciting series, obviously, uh, between those two teams and uh, some bad blood, to say the least. Not bad blood on game time tickets. Definitely not. Uh, only only good blood going on because you're going to save close to 60% when you wait closer to the first pitch or kickoff, puck drop, tip off, first strum. That doesn't exist for concerts, right? I mean, you, you get your concert tickets on game time app, but you don't. There, there's there's not the pinnacle of first pitch, first strum. I'm gonna go with that. I was uh, able to make the first course. 
Yeah, there you go. The, the first is snare testing out, uh, sound check. Not even, <laughs> you can't do that. It uh, doesn't translate quite as well, but what does translate, of course, game time tickets. Make sure you are checking out the link in our description, whether it's on YouTube, on the DNVR Sports channel, or it is on uh, the podcast description, if you're listening to it that way. Uh, that helps us out a ton, uh, and it's going to help you out because game time tickets, I've been using it for a very long time uh, to get great seats and to get them last minute, and then a lot of times that can save you a uh, some serious, serious bucks. Um, speaking of bucks, or maybe that's more venison. No, we're talking about beef. We're talking about Hassle Cattle Company. Uh, it's beef raised right there uh, in Denver on a family farm, and it's the best damn Wagyu beef you're ever going to have. It, it seriously is. You got my guarantee. Uh, I've had it firsthand. It's great. We also have it at, at our tailgates, which is really cool. So if you come out to any of those, uh, you're going to enjoy some of the delicious smoked stuffed sausages right off the grill. It's fantastic. They call it the Blue Collar American Wagyu because it's top shelf. But it's also affordable. It's it's preferred by so many home chefs. Uh, it's great because it's going to fit your budget and your recipes. Head to HassleCattleCompany.com to secure your bag of beef and use code DNVR for 20% off your entire purchase. That's H-A-S-S-E-L-L-CattleCompany.com. Code DNVR20 for 20% off. Well, no real beef between the Phillies and Padres yet but we, we yet we we did we did uh learn from from someone on Twitter which uh I'm I'm not upset I'm not jealous but but these are the things that I love most the final four teams Chad Qualls it's the quad Chad Qualls <laughs> he played with with all four of them and we know we also played for the Rockies so uh uh that's kind of cool that's pretty special but in game one in San Diego Phillies win two nothing and it really started and ended with Zach Wheeler absolutely dealing on Tuesday night. He was impressive. He he was very, very impressive. And he's been impressive for a long time now. I feel like, um, not to say he's underrated, but I think he's one of the most overlooked aces in baseball. Um, just because if you put Zach Wheeler against a DeGrom, against a Cole, against a Verlander, you feel just as good about your chances um, as the other team does. And that's a very elite class. And he really, really showed why, um, you know, Philadelphia, when you're starting with Wheeler and then you have Nola backing him up, that's a really formidable one, two punch. And they, they got off to the best start possible with Wheeler. Yeah. Zach Wheeler at this point in his three years with the Phillies is almost giving almost he's a, he's a hair behind, but still, uh, he's giving, Max Scherzer run for his money as like best free agent deal because go back and look at what he did with the nationals and you go like, well, that's how every, that's how every owner in front office uh, person is, is thinking about a free agent deal. Like, Oh yeah, he's going to win a couple Cy Youngs, you know, win a world series, et cetera. And it almost never works out that way. It did for Scherzer and the Nats. And it really has for Zach Wheeler uh, in the Phillies, you know, since he signed that deal uh, never really, you know, came to fruition entirely. He was, you know, pretty much banged up during his time with the Mets, but he's been fantastic. And to your point, talk about being overlooked. I don't know. I, I didn't, I didn't really think it was that close between Corbin Burns and Zach Wheeler because last year for the, the NL Cy Young award, it seemed like it was Corbin Burns's you know, Cy Young award to lose. Like, you know, he started his season, not walking anybody. And so I think all eyes were on Burns for, for so many reasons. But you go back and look at some of those numbers, and I, I don't know if, if you were on that train and saying Zach Wheeler was robbed, uh, but there's very much a case that Zach Wheeler very much should have won the 2021 
Cy Young Award, pitched a ton more innings, three complete games, two shutouts. Corbin Burns didn't do any of that. And so uh, not only did he have really solid outings, maybe a, a touch less in the ERA department than a Corbin Burns, but he gave his team four more starts than Burns uh, and went a lot longer. So yeah, you're, you're right. Zach Wheeler, uh, very much underrated. I think he is is very much now officially one of those twelve. I don't know what the magic number is. Maybe it's maybe it's maybe it's a dozen, but he is officially an ace right now. He so to to touch on the twenty one Cy Young debate. It's I don't think that there was a wrong choice. Is is the way that I keep on looking at that, and it's definitely a conversation of quality versus quantity a little bit um, because there was such a drastic disparity in innings pitch. You have one hundred and sixty seven for Burns and two hundred and thirteen for Zach Wheeler. I think if you're on the fence between the two in an era where uh, innings pitched have really been reduced for starting pitchers to be able to be the only guy to eclipse 213 or 200 innings um, and by a very wide margin that really kind of sways me in Wheeler's favor. But at the same time, you watch burn pitch and you know, you're going to get five, six extraordinary innings out of him. And you're going to walk into your bullpen, you know, with a lead. And and that's just the the way that Corbin Burns starts went. So I don't think there was a wrong answer. I wouldn't say he was robbed necessarily. I think that he just he had one of his best seasons in the worst year. If we're talking about accolades, um, and and on Zach Wheeler, you talk about the free agent deal being in the same vein as Max Scherzer, as working out as well as expected. I feel like that is Zach Wheeler's entire resume. First of all, he's a first round pick, six overall. Drafted out of high school, high school right-handed pitcher in a top ten pick, a lot of boomer bust. He was a complete boom with it when, and he was taken by the San Francisco Giants. Well, when the time came for the Giants to really try to maximize their opportunity to win a championship in that early 2010 window, he was traded, and he was traded for at least credential-wise a future Hall of Famer. Do you know who that Hall of Famer was, Patrick? Carlos Beltran getting his second mention on the pod, of course. Oh, okay, so. You're traded for a future Hall of Fame, at least type player, go over to the Mets, does great, succeeds, becomes the top of the rotation guy like he was always expected to, hits free agency, signs a mega deal with Philadelphia, and now he's living up to expectations with that as well. So, you know, every time that his name has been called, Zach Wheeler has really lived up to the hype. and It's just impressive to watch. Seven innings pitched, one hit. Uh, didn't give that up until Will Myers uh, in the fifth inning. Walk one, struck out. Eight, so not bad. You Darvish was fine too. Seven innings pitched, uh, give up two runs, but they were both on solo home runs. The first, of course, uh, was Bryce Harper. He got robbed of a hit earlier uh, in the game by Jake Cronenworth. Smashed a ball there in uh, in an area that will be a base hit probably in 2023. Uh, but he uh, gets it started off. The great thing about this image, this is not a home run swing. Look at how he finishes. You, if you saw this picture, you would say, "What's the result?" There might be some people who say, I think the shortstop probably ranged out into shallow left field. Wouldn't, wouldn't you say like, there's a chance this goes to the shortstop? Wouldn't you say that has fly ball down the left field line? Will it stay fair? Um, not necessarily for distance, but like maybe that ball's going to drop in. Maybe he'll he'll get a knock in be you know in between the triangle from left field, third base, and, and shortstop. Yeah. Uh, but then you realize that Bryce Harper is man's game, and so that ball ended up traveling you know 365 feet instead. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, he's got big boy power and, and he has since he was, I don't know, 12 years old. He did amazing. So, uh, he was a first straight game with a home. Uh, 
him. Uh, only Gary Matthews ever did that with the Phillies uh, in the same postseason back in 1983. So that got me feeling pretty hyped because uh, we did a home run derby draft. I don't know if you saw that yesterday, Kenneth. Uh, between Susie and I, I ended up getting Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, Juan Soto, and Alec Baum as my guys. Whereas uh, Susie ended up getting uh, a lot of Phillies, JT Realmuto, Kyle Schwarber, Reese Hoskins, uh, and Jake Cronenworth. So, uh, well, well, I'll get I'll get your uh, your take off air on that. So I felt good. I was up one nothing, and then Kyle Schwarber goes and pretty much hits one in the Pacific Ocean there in the second deck at Petco Park. He's you know I imagine someone. <laughs> he should he should come out tomorrow immediately if you can get a shirt printed up in in 24 hours uh which i'm sure he can he's got those means it should say what marine layer because that was part <laughs> of that ball trap it was amazing that yeah that was a shot i mean we we made the powder keg reference earlier and that's what happens when it explodes so man <laughs> he has some of the most impressive postseason home runs of all time too you think back to that cubs run and the one that he basically hit over the scoreboard probably knocked out a building somewhere on waveland or whatever cross street that is. But man, when he hits them and he gets all of it, it is such a no doubter. And that's what that one was last night. He's been the, he's kind of been the rallying guy. You thought that when the Phillies got Bryce Harper, you're like, he's going to take him to the next level. And I think that's still true, but then there's another level beyond that. Cause we know the Dodgers, they're, they're great at getting to that first level of, you know, hundred plus wins, but then there's that postseason level. And I think Kyle Schwarber has been the guy who's been, you know, able to do that for him, uh, for the Phillies and, you know, tying this back to the, you know, to the Rockies, uh, as uh, we tend to do here at the DNVR Rockies podcast, you know, I, I couldn't help but think, uh, being down there in, in Scottsdale in spring training, when all these deals were happening after the lockout had ended that, you know, the Rockies invested $182 million in their outfield, got one guy, Chris Bryant, whereas the Phillies invested 179 million and they got two guys. So they spent $3 million less, but of course, uh, wasn't, it wasn't like spread out over seven years. You also have Cal Schwarber and Nick Castellanos playing at the exact same time. So the Rockies are paying $26 million annually to one guy out in left field to try to help fix their power issues. Whereas the Phillies invested $40 million annually over the course of four seasons for Kyle Schwarber and Nick Castellanos. And you begin to kind of see, Hey, you know, some teams are playing chess while others are playing checkers. Yeah, I it was it was a bit of a head scratcher. I mean, just looking at the the Bryant deal in the first place, that's a very long commitment. So there's plenty that we're going to be talking on over the next couple of years when it comes to Bryant in particular. But then you look at the Phillies and the downside that was evident with those two deals was, hey, how is Schwarber and Castellanos in the outfield going to look? Because that's not necessarily a strong corner outfield alignment. Is their back going to outweigh? Um, some of those problems. And, you know, with Castellanos, it was a bit of a mixed bag for most of this year. But when it came to Schwarber, I mean, he's been kind of everything you expected him to be in the first place. And, uh, you know, if you, if you talk to a Rockies fan, is there anybody whose profile and swing is built for cores more than Kyle Schwarber? Like, it just would have been so much fun to see what he could do uh, in, in Coors Field for three or four seasons. And I think... You know, maybe the conspiracy theorist in me just uh, thinks that they didn't go after Schwarber just because they wanted to protect the infrastructure of the party deck and, and just not allow him to pepper the right field stands the way that we knew he'd be capable of. But he would have been so much fun to watch in Colorado. 
Marty points out uh, in our chat here on the DNVR Sports Channel, uh, talking about a canopy for the rock pile, so you know you don't get too bad of a sunburn. Maybe that's why. Maybe there's some more cores renovations coming, and they're like, well, you know what? If we're going to get a canopy for the rock pile, we can't sign Kyle Schwarber. He will very easily damage that. So Marty, maybe maybe you're onto something here. Uh, we could could have ourselves a conspiracy theory. Jose Alvarado, uh, you know, gets the final three outs. Time run comes to the plate. Uh, as he walked one, but it was a quick game. Two two hours and forty three minutes, four total hits. You know, pitchers duel. Um, hey, that's all right. They play again today. Uh, game two, two thirty on Fox Sports One. Aaron Nola versus Blake Snell. You, uh, you got a feeling one way or another. Obviously, it's somewhat of a must win for San Diego. It is, and you know what? Blake Snell has kind of looked like that uh, twenty nineteen World Series Blake Snell uh, in moments. So uh, this is going to be this very intriguing pitching matchup. And you know, you talked about the bad blood not existing. He did knock out Harper there for a little bit. So there, there is a storyline at least with Harper versus Snell. But uh, yeah, I mean, San Diego if they go down two zero at home and then they have to go to Philadelphia, that's a pretty tough mountain to climb. So it's going to be interesting to see would be we're going to see some history tonight more than likely we'll see what happens uh so long as austin nola padres catcher is in the lineup uh this is the seventh time two brothers have faced off in the postseason last time was quick math 25 years ago the uh roberto alomar and sandy alomar jr uh, for baltimore and cleveland in the 1997 american league championship series but what's more what's unique about this matchup of two brothers aaron nola and austin nola is all others, they were position players. So this will actually be the first time uh, that a brother will be pitching against his brother in the postseason. So you got to really hope for uh, Austin to be in the lineup. Phillies have their lineup, but not the Padres. That would be cool. I'd really love to see that. I mean, you can't not put him in the lineup. Like, I understand that it's the postseason, but it's not like Austin Nola is just this kind of waste of space on the roster. Like, there's, you know, there's a bona fide... Uh, reason to put him in that starting lineup and uh, i'm just looking forward to the camera shot of the two parents being completely torn um on what to do and then you know somebody comes over on on the sideline interview and they're like we're just happy either way we hope they both have fun and nobody gets hurt we just hope one of them can beat the yankees or or astros that's really we look forward to seeing one of them move on yeah yeah, it's like, hey, we're, we're they're 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 good. They're like, we're going to the World Series, so we're pretty cool. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. we, we don't have to worry about it. We've got you know, uh, parents on the Padres side, on the Philly side. They're stressing. We're good. We've got our, we've got our bags packed. We're ready. They already to go. hedged their bets. Oh, they're they're totally good. Exactly. That's why that's why you 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 want to have uh, two boys uh, for that reason. No, I saw his dad. He was wearing the the, the Nola. He was wearing. They're both Nolas. He was wearing the Phillies jersey underneath. Uh, with an open Padres on the outside, so he's smart because he's in he's in San Diego. So you want to show the brown on the outside with the Philly on the inside. Definitely think that will uh, more than likely end up getting flipped around. You know, I, I uh, we did have a few other things that you know we wanted to get to today, and um, you know the, the the one thing I, I think we we probably want to touch on again since we're talking about the Rockies is you know. Trade deadline activity because in 2017 and 2018, the Rockies did some things, you know, as they should. They were, uh, you know, looking to head to the postseason. They did, and you know, those guys contributed. I, I think everyone that they brought in, they they very carefully, you know, vetted and said that this guy has to be like this perfect fit. 
And I think they were. I, I think they all did their job well. 2017, you had Jonathan Lucroy uh, and Pat Neshek, both guys who were free agents after the year. And then in 2018, um, they got Drew Butera and Sung Wan Oh uh, for the back of the bullpen in trades. They also brought in Matt Holiday. So, you know, maybe, maybe that's two and a half on average that they brought in. But at the time, Did you, did you think, Kenneth, me just maybe the Rockies needed to have done more with this trade? Deadline? Yeah, you know, it, it felt like uh, while somebody like Luke Croy, while somebody like Anishik or O um, was a player in their position of need, they weren't necessarily the best option out there. So there was a little bit of bargain hunting that um, came into their plans. And I think that, uh, you know, while they, they contributed in their roles, uh, it, it proved that it wasn't necessarily enough. So, um, and I think that when we look at 2017 too, I mean, there was a clear hole over at first base and they didn't really bother to address it. Daniel Murphy was even on waivers at the time. Um, it's someone that could have helped in that span and they elected to do nothing, didn't get enough from the position. And then the next year decided, okay, now's the time to go for Daniel Murphy. So, um, you know, it, it just shows that when the when the time comes, you really need to to do the most and maximize your opportunity. And I always think back to the the mid 2010 Royals teams. Um, they went all out for that championship. They go out and they go Zobris, they go Cueto. You know, they dealt a top overall prospect in Will Myers to get James Shields. Like when the iron was hot, they struck it as hard as they could, and they got a championship for the first time since you know 1980 something. So. Uh, you have to do everything you can when you have that window of contention. And, and while the Rockies didn't do nothing in 2017 and 2018, they didn't do enough. And that's why they only have one win in what five playoff games to show for it. I think there's one, I think there's a prevailing thought out there by a lot of Rockies fans that, you know, maybe the goal isn't to win the world series. Maybe, you know, again, I think every team wants to, but to your point, when your window is open, You've got to go all in because you might not get it again. Uh, and I think with, you know, the fact that Brendan Rogers, you know, they, they did hold on to them. Um, you know, there, there, there was some discussions going on around JT Real Muto uh, as, as being a guy that, you know, they, they still needed some catching help there. Uh, that would have helped keep their window open a little bit more. It would have um, given them a much better chance of, of making the postseason there in, in 2019 when, you know, they did have a wild card spot late in June. Uh, by that point, before it, f it all fell apart, and, and maybe even 2020, uh, you would have had that opportunity uh, to run it back again. And I think there there may be some uh, prevailing thought that the Rockies are are hesitant to make deals like that because, well, if you trade a future you know piece of the franchise like Brendan Rodgers, well, what's going to happen in 22, 23, 24? Who you know are, are we going to lose 100 games? Like, oh no, we 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 have to avoid that being in last place. When really you you can't worry about that. If the goal is to win a World Series, you got to push all in. Like as you pointed out, the Royals were able to do. And you say, well, if if we're at the bottom of the heap again, we're kind of used to that. But you know what? We would like to be at the top of the heap. Uh, and so they did go on and have the back-to-back -back World Series appearances. Eventually, did you know pull through there uh, in in 2015? So that was uh, that was really great to. Uh, for them to have had that. And I think the, the Rockies probably would have done a little bit better um, to have to made some more of those aggressive moves, similar to, to what these teams did. You know, the Phillies uh, acquired four guys at the deadline and got them nine years of control. Um, uh, the one year guys, you know, Noah Syndergaard, David Robinson, 
who who I think he's going to be back uh, for this this series. I think he's on the active roster. Is that right? Did he get put uh, back on the active roster for the? Uh, he did. Yes. Yeah. And did. they know him pretty well. Uh, and and as you pointed out in that great article, Brandon Marsh, he's got five more years that uh, under under club control. Uh, and then Edmundo Sousa, who, uh, Sosa, who uh, they got at shortstop for four years. San Diego acquired four players, only three years of control, one for Josh Hader, two for Juan Soto. Uh, but they also had Brendan Drury and Josh Bell over at first base. Houston acquired three guys, uh, Christian Vasquez as, as catcher, lefty reliever Will Smith, and then Trey Mancini. Uh, and then the Yankees, six guys. Talk about playing chess. 11 years of control. Uh, they got Tyler Wade uh, earlier in July, Andrew Benintendi. Frankie Montas, Lutravino Jr. or not Jr. Lutravino, uh, two years of control, and then Scott Efros, a guy that uh, they liked really well from uh, from the Cubs, who was a rookie. So they they even acquired a rookie, thinking, hey, this guy can help us both now as well as the future. And then Harrison Bader, uh, which we know uh, was an interesting one for one deal for Jordan Montgomery. So you have to be aggressive when you have that opportunity, and and sometimes you even have to overpay because uh, as as uh, you know the the Cubs learned. In uh, in the Aroldis Chapman deal uh, with uh, with the Yankees there, where uh, you know they gave up Labor Torres, Clint Frazier, amongst others, that uh, the great Casey Stern of MLB Network says this a lot, and it's true. Prospects are cool, parades are cooler. Yeah, I mean uh, that's you feel just fine, and you hope that they have a wonderful career elsewhere. But you got your ring, and you know, especially for a team like the Cubs, that is so you know huge because you were wearing the lovable loser name tag for a hundred plus years. Um, don't just loosen the prospect hug when this when this time comes is the really what it has to come down to. And I think when you look at all four of these teams. Uh, San Diego is a bit of an outlier just because they did as big of a cannonball as they possibly could um, with with their deals. But a lot of them had a lot of targeted uh, addressing of needs with these deals. You look at Philadelphia. We talked about Castellanos and Schwarber being kind of an iffy outfield defense. Well, they were going to out hit and out pitch their problems as best they could. And their problems were mostly defense and bullpen. Well, you added David Robertson, all reliable a little bit to to help solidify that that bullpen. You complement that starting rotation and possibly give a little bit of help to the bullpen in the postseason with Noah Syndergaard. And then you go out and you acquire Brandon Marsh and Edmundo Sosa specifically to help that defense be just a little bit better. So you're trying to well round yourself into as more as formidable of a contender as you can. Um, I think Houston, Houston has very little areas of need, but, you know, going out and acquiring a backup catcher um, and Christian Vasquez, a pretty good catcher, you're preparing for if something goes wrong. And, you know, Christian Vasquez is a fine piece for it. Left-handed piece in Will Smith. Um, I think it was Susie that said that uh, Houston won the Trey Mancini, Mancini deal because uh, they needed some likability. And I... I don't disagree with that, actually. But, you know, Mancini is a good piece, too. He is somebody that can make an impact in a series in one single at-bat. And then um, the Yankees are very similar to Houston, I think, where they were able to address some areas with not necessarily the biggest splashes, uh, but they were able to to solidify their roster. While also, you know, you look at a, a New York and a Philadelphia they don't necessarily have all of these pieces because they've cashed them in over the years to get to this point in the first place. So you make deals with what you have on hand. And then if it comes back to put you in a tougher spot down the road, you address it down the road. And that's why both of these teams are facing off in the championship series for the third time in six years.
Yeah. Yeah, you uh, you need a guy in the ninth inning to close, and you also need somebody in the front office to close those kind of deals to get them done to make your team uh, a little bit better. Well, uh, we know the uh, the team over at Purple Row is still strong, uh, and uh, you got any good pieces coming up? We'll, we'll go ahead and link that that Brandon Marsh piece, uh, which I, I thoroughly enjoyed. So click on that, uh, give a little love to Kenneth. Anything uh, in the pipelines coming up? Uh, yeah, you know, I've been, I've been, uh, kicking the tires a little bit on uh, further elaborating that conversation about Brendan Rogers and not necessarily, Hey, you could have traded him back then for a real moto, but there's a broader picture of, okay, when are the Rockies going to compete again? And is Rogers a part of that? Or could using somebody like Rogers help increase your chances when your window does arise? So that's kind of what's, what's in the hopper for me right now. Yeah, considering he only has three more years of, of club control, it seems like he just got here, right? It's 23, 24, 25, then he's in free agency. So lock him up or see what you can get. So, uh, you know, those those prospects, when they do arrive, are going to be there. And and uh, also make sure you're checking out Kenneth uh, over on uh, the Purple Row feed there, uh, doing a really good job on the uh, the Pebble Report there with uh, with our guy, Justin Wick. We'll have to have him on. I know he's he's down there covering the Arizona Fall League getting all the uh, inside scoop on everything with that. Yeah. He he's been the hitting instructor for Zach Veen and uh, Grant Levine. So he's a little preoccupied right now, but we'll see if we can pry him away from his responsibilities. He's doing well for a former lefty reliever uh, yeah. in the hitting coach perspective. I, I never would have guessed it. You know what I It's mean? weird how it works out, but his knowledge as a pitcher translates into making hitters better, I guess. He's I think, and, and, I think he just knows what what a really good swing against his pitching looks like. Says, so, all right, of the of the eighteen home runs I gave up this season, here's what the guys were doing really well. So you know what? Maybe it may actually work. I think we could have a Rockies are looking for a new hitting instructor. We may need to go back at some of the worst relievers in Rockies history because maybe they will be uh, just as successful uh, on the hitting coach. Super producer Kale says uh, John Elway has an elite eye for defensive backs. There's something here. There very well could be something here. I don't know. I like it. I, I like it. Learn from my mistakes so we can make our, ourselves better as a whole. I, I dig it. that. That's it. Well, we make no mistakes on Twitter at DNVR underscore Rockies at Patrick D Lyons is where I'm at. Make sure you're following Kenneth as well at KDUB, KDUB 1988 on Twitter. Uh, this has been fantastic, Kenneth. We had more business to, to get to. Uh, we, we've got more momentum, so we'll have to have you back on again. Until we meet again. Until we meet again. But unfortunately, you know what they say about momentum. It's only as good as your next show. So we'll talk to you tomorrow at 11 a.m.